As promised, here is part one of my recent conversation with Maura Joy Lustig, transformational coach and artist. Finding ways to describe Maura is as much fun as listening to her walk you through her, the parts of her life. She's driven, intense, passionate, feisty, and so determined. I loved it all, and you will too. I don't want to spoil it for you, so grab a coffee or go for a 30-minute walk with your buds on. I promise you'll be moving faster and who knows, maybe even running before it's over. What do you usually tell people about you? Is there a little story that you have? If like, like, for instance, if I was going to introduce you to somebody... If I had a great little story, even if it was from your past or whatever that that brought you to that kind of described where you are today and why you are today. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and if I if I was able to articulate that story to somebody that didn't even know you and they go, oh, my gosh, I I know somebody just like that or I recognize where she's coming from. But do, do you have a little story like that about yourself? I can give you two. I'll try to keep them short. The first one would be about career. Okay. And career in the sense of self-discovery. Actually, there's three, but I'll stick with this one to start with. Uh, This one is related to the time that I went into work for the bank back in 1995. And I go into work that day and, uh, you know, I'm having a ball and another good day at the office. And I wouldn't say I loved my job, but I would say it, it met a lot of needs. I was working in a bank as a part-time assistant manager, customer service. And, you know, I was that crazy kook that was the artist that would secretly bring the paintings in and hide them under the desk and then show them to the right people at the counter, right? And then get back to work again. Um, but anyways, it was a, and I, but I did a good job and I was well-liked and everything. And I, then I was asked to come into the office, the, the manager's office, and there was someone else there. And suddenly I was being told that my services were no longer required. I expected maybe a, a, a pat on the back for the, the, the great stuff I was doing, but instead it was, I'm sorry to let, let you down like this more, but we just don't need you anymore. We're downsizing, brought in an extra uh, AT machine and uh, you know, we just have, we're cutting back on staff. And I was escorted back to my desk to get my cup and my sweater and walked out the door. And I went to the car, sat in the parking lot. And what I haven't told you is that I, had just become single. I was a single mom with three kids. One month earlier, my ex-husband had moved out and now I lost my job. And I sat in the car, didn't know what I was gonna do, started to bawl my eyes out and turned on the radio and two songs came on. The first one was, let her cry for she's a lady. And the second one was, it'll be all right. And I went home and started thumbing through the newspaper. And lo and behold, there were a few challenges to overcome. Things miraculously, though, started falling into place because I got into action. I went back to school and I ended up getting a diploma that winter in corporate communications at Seneca College, commuting back and forth, figuring it out. And the discovery for me in the process was I can do anything I set my mind to that I'm, an, I'm a survivor, 
that I can overcome and that I can pivot, I can reinvent myself. So that was one. And that reinvention theme happened actually much earlier in life, in grade two, when I couldn't figure out how Dick and Jane and Spot worked because I couldn't learn how to read. I couldn't read or write, I couldn't do math. And I was the kid that would be distracting everybody around me, looking out the window and being sent to the principal's office until my teacher recognized that it was a learning block. And she called my parents in and said, try phonetics. And my dad bought the flashcards and the chalkboard and sat with me every night and grilled me, the eight-year-old who hated every second of it. And as a result of his determination and belief in me, I went on to not only learn how to read and write, but I ended up studying four languages, um, got a degree in uh, German, got a scholarship to Freiburg University, and went on. Like I fell in love with spelling bees and everything to do with language. I'm a communicator. And just so many different things like that have happened in my life. I mean, I failed grade nine math, never took it again, and then went on to become a certified financial planner and never failed a course. I learned coping mechanisms. That's one of the gifts that I give to my clients. I teach them how there's always a way around it or over it or under it, if not through it. And if it's in you and it's meant to be, I'll show you the way. Oh my God. I, I'm not even sure what's happening in my chest as I'm listening to you, mm -hmm. but it, it caved about twice. And in mm -hmm. fact, the first story was already bad. <laughs> and then the second one just kind of like put a spike in me. Yeah. And oh my gosh. Would I mean, you like one more? It, I would. Those are beautiful. Yeah, I'm going to shut up and just let you drop that third one on me. <laughs> Again, a time of turning points, transitions, saying yes and figuring it out. This is around love. I met my husband in 2000 at a difficult time. My father had just died. A many year relationship had ended. My son had moved out. I was alone. When my father died, my stepmother decided uh, she didn't have to pretend to like me anymore. And uh, she really loved my ex-husband. And that Christmas, she had him and his girlfriend and my children and my former neighbors from growing up, she had them all over for Christmas dinner, leaving me alone in my house and with no one. And what's interesting is that that was the same year, you know, the thing about doors closing and windows opening, that was the year that I met Jeff. And, you know, I grew up Catholic. I'm not religious, but I grew up Catholic and Jeff is Jewish. His background is Jewish. My father would have rolled over in his grave. <laughs> I love it. And my, my, Jeff's the most amazing man I've ever known in my entire life next to my dad. And anyways, so um, when Jeff and I met, uh, he, um, he showed up in such a way that I, I just, the chemistry was so un, un, uncanny. It was like, oh my God, there's something special here. What do I do with this? It's overwhelming. I'd had so many failed relationships, so many, made so many mistakes, burned so many bridges. I didn't know whether to trust my gut or not. And at one point, climbing up to Christmas, uh, Jeff simply showed up. He showed up and he put up a tree. He brought me Christmas dinner when nobody else would have. 
he made it possible for me to get through a very difficult Christmas. And that year, he asked me to move to Peterborough to be with him and to marry him, ultimately. Not right away, but to move to Peterborough to be with him. And, and you know, at first I said yes, and everything seemed to be going fine. And then all of a sudden, I pulled the plug. I thought, oh, my God, what the heck are you doing? Why do you think this is right? You're giving up everything. You're risking everything again. And where's it going to go? And you've just burned your bridges and you've left your community and your home. And Well, so I pulled the plug. I said, no. And then silence. And what I noticed was how he didn't react. He was clearly broken by the news, by my decision. But he didn't make me wrong. And instead, he simply got quiet and walked away. And that gave me 48 hours. That's all it took. 48 hours I spent thinking, what have I just done? I just left the best thing in the world that ever happened to me walk away. And I changed my mind. And when I changed at that time, I made the decision I would never change it again. And I figured it out and lived into my new future. And it hasn't always been easy. We had a blended family of teenagers and I was changing communities. But it was absolutely the best thing I have ever done was said yes and figure it out. The dynamics on all three stories are brilliant. I mean, because like there's such shifts taking mm -hmm. place and I can see why you would have and I can hear why you would have empathy for someone else in a, any kind of a difficult situation. Right. That, I'm, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's propped you, yeah. propped you up and, and put you where you are when you say uh, for other people. Right. Yeah. I watched my mom die slowly of cancer. She was ill. I'm adopted. And um, my parents were older when they adopted me, no siblings, no grandparents, me and them, a few aunts and uncles that were older and died as well. Right. And so then when my mom died, when I was 21, and I watched her die slowly after multiple bouts of cancer. Uh, that, would, that put me on the path to becoming the wellness professional that I am, to, have it, to literally being on a mission to help women like, a, like me be radically healthy. Here I am at 65 in the best shape of my life. And I, I not only believe, but I know we can rock our encore. And these are actually the best years of our lives and how to make the most of them, how to savor it, how to squeeze every juicy drop out of that lemon. They're going to have to drag me off the dance floor kicking and screaming. And I'm going to be taking a whole bunch of women on that ride with me. That's so brilliant. That's so brilliant. Um, and, and you've been, you've been doing this now that you, you've been helping other women now for how many years? Since 2007, I would say. I've always been passionate about helping women, but in my previous role as a certified financial planner, I didn't have the range of tools available to me. I built relationships. I cared about what mattered most to them. But now having become like, and Chris, I've been an artist all my life. And it was that blend of, of um, consulting along with creativity that led me to discover that coaching is what I do best and that it's helping others um, like life throws so many challenges at us. And what happens is people shut down. They, through the layers of trauma and setback and disappointment, they stop thinking with their hearts and they start just thinking with their brains and they forget how to self-express. They forget, they stop giving themselves permission to live into their 
greatness and their power and their passion. And with me, they learn how to do it again. And sometimes like never before, they learn how to say yes. And then they have the structures and the tools and the systems and the accountability and the love from someone who sees their gifts and teaches them how to get them out. When you're speaking to a, a woman who is going through some things and, mm-hmm. and, and you're in this discovery session, just to kind of find out where, where she is and, you know, how badly, how, how badly she's hurt and things like that. Do you share first? Not always. Okay. It's more about the questions because to share first would prove that I want to be interesting instead of interested. Instead, sharing has a place where you are relating, but not trying to steal the conversation away. You're sharing it for the purpose of showing them that you do get it, that you can relate, that you can show them perhaps what you did and suggest this might be an option for them, or have they ever simply considered some of these other choices? I like, I like the edge that you just created there because um, a lot of people you know, say, they default to the saying, no one likes to be on the dance floor first, right? They don't want to be kind of like the person in the spotlight. And so sometimes in my own efforts, I have given a little nugget of something to someone to show them, you know what, I'm approachable. I can, mm-hmm. We can get by this thing. Mm-hmm. I kind mm-hmm. of understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. You seem to have a, a slightly different way of of traversing that little that first um that first communication talk to us a little bit more about the nuances around sure well the story has to serve a purpose and it has to be for their benefit not yours and one of the things that i do in asking the questions is i'm looking for the bruise so that i know when i touch it what needs to be healed and I, i i can do that very effectively I, I know when to back off or when to prompt and, and persuade and encourage. I know where to breathe the greatness in and also where to back off and let them breathe for a minute too. There's so much potential in the people that we know and to be able to connect with their humanity, to show them that they're not alone and that you see what they're capable of, that they've forgotten or they never even realized in ways that no one perhaps in for years or perhaps even ever has done for them. I watch these women transform. I watch them finally seeing possibility where before none existed. Doors open for them. They, they take action in a way they have never done before. They have the courage to, to, to set the boundaries, to prioritize. They get clear on what their core values are. And that's, you know, we talk about that, you know, understanding overcoming obstacles and all that. It's not cliche. (laughs) When you have a clear compass, decisions get so easy. And I have principles that I live by that I, that I share. And I have these different strategies uh, that are like, it's like I treat a woman like a circle. I'm not just coming at it from beginning to end. Hell no. She's in the middle. And everything else around her gets drawn on in different points. And sometimes she's ready for a piece of it. And sometimes she's not. That's okay. Let's move on. We'll circle back later. Don't worry. I'm not forgetting it. But we're not going to worry about that right now. You know, Eckhart Tolle talks about pain bodies. And I can say something to one woman that she finds wonderful. 
say the same thing to another woman and she reacts. She's not responding. That's that pain body. You've touched a nerve. And when that happens, you don't gloss over it. You slow down and you respect that space, letting them know that you're open to exploring this when they're ready. And then maybe segue at that point with a little anecdote or something that shows that you know they're never being judged. With me, with the client, there is no failure. There is only good, better, best. I'm here for them on their behalf. That's what gives me joy is when I help them find that there is more joy in life, more joy, more joy. And, you know, th there's this thing about wanting, knowing that there's more. Now I'm working with purpose-driven women. I'm clear about the quality, the, the, the nature of the woman that I connect with. She's going to be someone like me who is on a mission to live her best life and maybe has been blocked along the way. She's hit setbacks like crazy and has lost sight of the goals. And, but if she's no, she knows there's more, you know, that Peggy Lee song, is that all there is? Uh huh. She knows there's more. And it's that, how do you find the coach that helps that who sees that recognizes that in you and then says, let's explore that because it's not the same for everyone. Uh, I, I love working with women that are creative souls because I'm a creative and like one of my clients right now is a, is a, the most amazing writer. And, and even if they're not uh, wearing the sh like professionally as a creative, as an artist, there's still that common ground with uh, every woman that I work with. They all have a creative side, which perhaps they haven't explored and, and they've forgotten how to play. And when you can help a woman play again, like which, that's what happens if they come to my studio for an art workshop. It isn't just about learning how to paint, heck no. It's they discover something inside them. So, I mean, I have women, they're in tears which blows me away when that happens. I mean, I'm always amazed and thrilled by it, that they're seeing something in themselves again that they didn't know was there, maybe since they were little. And then that translates into all areas of their lives. It translates into health, it translates into relationships, into career, into all kinds of stuff. Yeah, It is great therapy as art. Mm -hmm. I, I know that as an artist myself, that you can, I can, if I'm, at the canvas and I'm in the moment. Yeah. Like good luck getting trying to get my attention. <laughs> yeah. Are, are yeah. you the same way? <laughs> well, that's you know, when when you lose track of time and then you 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 pause and you go, oh God, am I retired? But you didn't know you were tired until just then. <laughs> yeah. Really? And I if, if I'm painting, I'm standing in my uh the way my my medium works and caustic working with wax, I'm standing at the palette and everything with the fans going and the wax is all hot but but you know so I don't even notice that I've been just standing for hours <laughs> but most of the time what I do is it's less about the, the the writing or sorry less about the painting these days is about finding expression through coaching that's it's since you know the last year especially with COVID and, and now that more and more women are working from home and uh they're struggling with us struggling with identity because the professional woman is now thinking, okay, well, where, how am I going to maintain this, this way of doing my work from home? I've got the kids in the background or I'm juggling, got to make the dinner. And like, it's very difficult. And like, there's this loneliness epidemic, there's this overwhelm and uh, they get lost and then they get frustrated and they get, there's this anxiety going on. So I really help them refocus. They, you know, with clarity and certainty, there is no overwhelm. And I give that to them and they 
they latch right on and they get it and they start doing things differently. It's not like there's stuff that they, they don't know they should do. They know they should do it, but they haven't been doing it. And I put it together in such a way that they can latch on and they can in, incorporate it into their lives on a daily basis so they can keep hitting the reset button as often as they need to, because life's going to keep throwing it at them. It's going to keep throwing setbacks. Now, do you approach your work in group or single? Both. Both. I just finished a group coaching program and I love the dynamics of the group because the whole truly is greater than the sum of its parts. It really is. When you have these kinds of purpose-driven, like-minded women coming together on a Zoom meeting, for instance, or coming to France with me for the retreats, uh, there is just magic in the air. Uh, they, they instantly, be, they, they bond. Uh, they, they respect and appreciate each other. They're listening for each other's contributions it, uh, and they're, they're following along with my instruction and, and my facilitated discussion. Private coaching, I also love because that's where I can give my full attention to one woman. I can really dive deep into what's important to her and explore things in complete confidence that perhaps she wouldn't even share in a group. So that there's, it's really not either or, it's a yes and with me. Uh, one of my uh, clients that just finished the group coaching program actually did my entire private coaching program first. And I mentioned to her I was going to be doing the group. And she said, oh, can I do that too? Yeah. And she was fabulous. She did both and she just loved it. And she's probably going to come to France. <laughs> Very good. Um, is there um, uh, um, a level of person, you know, who kind of accepts one or the other? I mean, is, are there people who are like so closed out that they have to be dealt with one-on-one -on -one and, or is it easier to break them out in a group? Have you seen anything like that take place? That's an excellent question. And you're right. Some people prefer a private uh, environment. And then, you know, depending on the progress they make, you know, adjusting and adopting the new things, and then they're ready to do group coaching too. Others are just ready to go right into it from the beginning. And each woman actually knows herself pretty well in that regard. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes they do have to kind of exercise themselves mm -hmm. uh, before they kind of, and then, uh, then I, I see that you're maybe a smaller group would resemble another stage for them in development, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I'm going to be doing going forward is in my, my group coaching program that I just completed, I, I gave my, I ran through the entire course with them. And instead, what I think I will do going is um, break it into chunks so that there will be the uh, introductory and then the advanced. And that way I can go deeper into the, uh, the different modules and spend more time in discussion with the women as we go forward. And then they're, you know, they can decide for themselves if they want to continue and do more of the program. Now is art a stable item in the, in the, uh, um, in no, the well, it's a piece of it. Yes. It is introduced as a piece. I absolutely address creativity in a variety of forms. And at the very least uh, we, we talk about hobbies too. It's not that someone has to become a professional creative, uh, does that make sense? I mean, it's about being well-rounded yeah. so that you can see yourself in different light and you can find joy again in a variety of platforms. Well, I think it's, it's generally good for people to have mm -hmm. some kind of escape, mm -hmm. even if it's, oh, yeah. even if it's like walking along a river, you know, yeah. or whatever. Right. Yeah. 
Well, did you actually, I don't know if you had a chance to look at my course online yet or not, the, there's the course, but, but you're mentioning things that I include. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because exercise, meditation, journaling, uh, nutrition, um, I talk about sleep. Uh, there's just so many, and of course, um, connection, uh, learning. I mean, I'm an avid reader. And so I, the books that I bring, like women are so grateful for the book recommendations and the conversations around the books that we go through in the course. There's just all these different aspects to become a whole human being. It costs so much to be a full human being that there are very few who have the courage or the enlightenment to pay the price. One has to reach out to the risk of living with both arms. And so that's actually a quote from The Shoes of the Fisherman by Morris B. West. It's one of my favorite quotes. And just, you know, it's about figuring out what you love to do, doing it on purpose. And when women are burnt out, it's sometimes they're ready to change careers. Sometimes they've just changed, but now they're overwhelmed by the new. Or maybe they're trying to decide whether to stay in a relationship or leave. Uh, or they're afraid to love again. <laughs> There's all these different angles that happen as women go through different stages in life. And of course, with hormones changing and stuff. Like I, I have the luxury of looking at it with a, an eagle view. I embrace my gray because, you know, the, the hormonal cycles are behind me. Baby, changing babies is gone. Dealing with teenagers is gone. I'm at that sweet spot. To me, this is the best years of a woman's life is uh, after those stages are behind you. And, you know, this is actually when more and more women are, are now launching new careers is they're not like they're not retiring. Hell no. There's just so much left to life. And if you know, if they enjoy work, then they're maybe considering, yes, but is this the work that I want? Um, I like the expression renaissance soul. I'm a renaissance soul. I like a lot of different things. And the, the only thing that I hate is boredom. <laughs> I like being that myself. I, I've always thought of myself as somebody that uh, I don't care. I could return to uh, a specific date and time. And I think I'd be just as comfortable there as I am here today. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're, you're definitely a creative and, and you are a man with like many different gifts, many different aspects to your personality that can be explored. I mean, you would never be boring in conversation. That's for sure. <laughs> Thanks for that. I've been called a kook. <laughs> <laughs> I but, love people who are, if you want to use the word eccentric, I love yeah. that. This is yeah. what makes us interesting. No, I know. Well, there's more to, uh, there's more to it. There's, I, the only things that, that are black and white are the colors, like themselves. <laughs> yeah. And even then I mess with mm -hmm. those things too. I mean, uh, people, the, the, the values that they own through their experiences are their color in my mind. It, you know, I never look at someone like, and kind of go face value, like what it, you know, what do I see? I, I do like to dig inside and mm -hmm. think, what made you like that? What, why'd you, why'd you turn out this way? Did has anybody ever challenged you to kind of think mm -hmm. about that? And yeah. I, I got that a long time ago. You know, I had, I, I was fortunate enough to have a mentor that kind of disturbed me, like disturbed some of the quietness in me mm -hmm. that I mm -hmm. knew I had as a, as a child who'd grown up in a tumultuous life with a stepfather who didn't actually care that much for him and 
you know, and actually abused him somewhat. And uh, so I had a different, I, you know, I had, a, I had a different escape from that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, I was very fortunate because it happened to be my art teacher. Love and that. It was beautiful because my art teacher, God rest his soul, would pick me up on the weekend. We'd drive out into the, into the UK countryside and we'd paint plain air. And okay. we, you know, and we'd go and we'd, we'd paint a pub or a cottage. And then we'd go into the pub for lunch. And, and Roy used to just pop the painting right up. And, and of course, the landlord always used to come over and say, hey, that's my pub. <laughs> well, we've just been outside, uh, you know, for the last couple of hours. And we, you know, we've been we've been painting and, you know, yeah, this is, we like it, you know, we like the, we like the look and the, on the, the ambience and everything. Oh, oh, I'll buy that. (laughs) So, I mean, Roy, it was, it was my first introduction to commerce through, you know, through creativity uh, with Roy. So he's a, he was a beautiful person, you know, very. That's awesome. What I admired about him the most and I still look for this in people is the clarity mm-hmm. when they think and speak. I'm not always that good. Like I'm a bit of a chatterbox. I, you know, and I have to remind myself sometimes just to hold back a little, I'm being honest. Uh, it's just my nature, but, but Roy was like a surgeon with his words. Mm. And when he told me something, I knew exactly what he meant. And I, and I, I love when that happens. And every now and again, I bump into someone who's so precise and, and I think of him. Lovely. What a compliment to him, to his memory. Yeah. Oh, I wish I'd yeah. been able to see him before he passed, but it, whew, it's going to give me shivers <laughs> just thinking about him again. Because mm-hmm. lovely, he was the dad you didn't have. Yeah, he was the dad I didn't have because he he yeah. was married. He didn't have children, mm-hmm. and he, but he treated me like kind of a lost uncle kind of thing. You know, lovely. And it, yeah, and the relationship yeah. was more about. I'm sensing the relationship might have been something more like what you probably offer the women that you interact with now, because it's more about. Mm-hmm. you know the the giving them I, some reason yeah. to think and aspire yeah. to new things right yeah. peter when i was working in the bank before i was let go back way back years ago i had the good fortune of uh, one of the clients that would come in and he saw that i um i i, I do these paintings and they were by the desk that kind of, he, he engaged me in conversation and his son was an art student at art college and this man became a mentor to me he inspired me, he challenged me, he introduced me to poetry, and he said, you know, and I was taking these little night courses at the local high school, he said, why are you doing that? Why aren't you? He said, you have a gift. Why aren't you taking it seriously? Uh, and as a result of his encouragement, I started taking classes at the Ontario College of Art and Design, which meant that here I was, a mom with three kids, and I was commuting down to Toronto from Newmarket which was like an hour away, one night per week, all winter long. And I did it. Like I'm one of those people that you put, you put an idea in front of me and I will follow through. And many times uh, things have, doors have opened. I mean, luck and effort, what's, what's that thing? Luck happens where effort meets opportunity. Luck favors the prepared. 
and, and like I say to my clients, what if every moment in your life had been preparing you for this, like everything in your life had been preparing you for this moment. And, you know, like, I don't, Peter, you'll relate to this as well. Painting. I may have breaks in between when I paint, but what I find is not that I am rusty. Heck no. I find that I am better when I come back to the easel, to the canvas. It's, I've changed. I've grown. It wasn't that my hand needed to learn how to move the brush better. Something else is occurring. And I help my clients see that in themselves, that there is no thing as something that wasn't, you know, that you failed at. It wasn't the right time. And you learned something else in the process. Let's find what you learned and bring it into the now. How does it apply today differently? I like that. It's more about application versus mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. process you know you learn mm -hmm. a new application a new way to bring it a new way to give it depth a new way mm -hmm. i mean i'm still not finished i think yeah I, I don't think i have i honestly don't think i have a specific style mm -hmm. i just enjoy everything <laughs> i like the word synthesis uh, when I'm working with a, a client, it's like, I'll use the art still as an example. It's not the only one, but just treat that as a metaphor right now. Uh, when, when women come to my studio to learn encaustic, that's the medium in working with wax. Well, many times, like they're not just 20-year-olds straight out of college. They are women who've, you know, they've had life experiences. They may have dabbled in other forms of art and had hobbies as well, whether it was crafts or sewing or whatever, even they may be writers, they may have dabbled in acrylic and watercolor and stuff. But when they come to me and they start playing with wax and they learn how to use this ancient medium of encaustic, they bring all of who they are to that medium. They don't leave anything behind. They learn how to create a synthesis of all that they are and bring it together in this new, new way. And that's what I teach them how to do in other areas of their life, that there is no mistake in the past. Regret is such a wasted emotion. Instead, okay, there might be things you wouldn't do again. <laughs> you know, you, you do learn, but, but that doesn't make it be something that you, you know, should be ashamed of. Just you were doing your best at the time with the information you had. And that ties me in with my big point, which is that I use the principles of the four agreements all the time in my teaching and in, it's what I live. Four agreements by McGraw Oise, you've heard of them. It's that be impeccable with your word. Um, don't take it personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. Well, to be impeccable with your word part, the word is, has such power uh, around the impact your word can have on others, but also, the sense of what your word means to you, because when you break a self-promise, no one else knows, but you just destroyed your, your self-esteem. You break a promise to yourself. And then it, doing your best, I'm jumping around here, but doing your best, your best is good enough. Just be honest with yourself if it was your best. And if it, if it wasn't, okay, tomorrow is another day. If it is your best and it wasn't good enough, okay, well, life's short. Eat, eat dessert first, you know, like, like lighten up. But just ask yourself, do the self-check. Am I doing my best? And always try to do your best. And, you know, the thing about not taking it personally and don't, taking it, don't making assumptions, well, heck, the older you get, the more you realize how true that is because we, we spend all our lives thinking it's all about us. And, and always trying to, you know, we're, we're meaning-making machines, so of course we project 
and uh, make decisions in advance for, for what other people are doing and why they're doing it. And again, short, short memory and a sense of humor are the keys to a long and happy marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got a personal question because yeah. I've, I've struggled with this back and forth a little bit, but, but um, no matter how hard I try, I still have this bit of procrastination that comes into, into my sphere every now yeah. and again. Yeah. And I, and I, and I sometimes think it's because I'm doing so much or maybe I'm overwhelmed by some of the things that I'm doing. Like, mm -hmm. And, and I think sometimes, All true. yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I was, I was and, and the more important it is, the more you procrastinate on it. It's like um, the art of, sorry, the war of art, art and fear. Uh, and, and, you know, you've heard that book uh, Gary, by Gary Keller, The One Thing. You know, what's the one thing that if you just did it, it would move everything forward in the areas that you're excited about. And that's usually the one thing that, that we procrastinate on, even though we know we should. So it's about using things like the five second rule, five, four, three, two, one, just do it. And, and also, you know, Abraham Hicks has this phrase uh, about, I align, my most important task is to align my emotions with my desires, find least resistant thoughts, and then act, act on the inspired thoughts that arise. So that, you know, by aligning your emotions with your desires, that means, okay, it's like, so visualize what it is you know you want. What's the goal? What's the outcome you really want to achieve? What's the, the desire? And then stay in alignment emotionally with that desire, regardless of your current circumstances. The, the emotion must stay there with it in order for it to manifest. And then find least resistant thoughts. Go vague, go general get away from the specifics that are annoying and now act on the inspired thoughts that will inevitably come in now because they will, they will show up. If you have done the other work first, I guarantee, and you have to act on them. You can't just let them flow by because know yourself to thine own self. Know that the inspiration will pass. You can let it fade. The moment will be gone. You needed to capture it. Tell me your heart's not beating a little faster after listening to Mara. Just lay it out on the table. I hope you'll join me for part two soon. And thanks for listening.